Hello, hello everyone and welcome to the most sluggish game dev podcast in the world, House of Games. Today I'm joined by my host Odo and a very special guest, Myra and I. But before I give you the word, mister, let us kick back that door and enter this week's episode of House of Games. Welcome everyone to the House of Games, and I think without much further ado, I would like to give the word to our guest. So, would you like to tell us who are you and what do you do? Well, first, thank you for this opportunity. It's great to be here. My name is Miranai, and I'm working on a, uh, let's call it dark action RPG, and let's not call it something inspired by Demon's Souls or Dark Souls. <laughs> but even though that might have been one of the core uh, inspirations way back in 2010 or 9 or something. As for like about me, you know, I played games since I was a kid and always like enjoyed and loved that. And since like 2004 was it, I started like modding games and it's all like slowly is always converging towards making something out of my, of my own, which... I have since roughly 2011. So have you worked on this game since 2011 or different games? The timeline is a bit <laughs> convoluted, but the uh, in 2011 I started writing the lore for what was supposed to be like a pen and paper RPG setting for me and some friends. And in 2014 is when actual production started of a game in Unreal Engine. That pen and paper setting never came to be, well, at least it hasn't come to be, <laughs> but I, lo- I love the ideas. Is that lore still in the game, the pen and paper idea? I would say maybe 40% of what was written, like, originally, maybe. And then some ideas were just really good and, like, stuck with me, and some of them have developed over time and changed, so... Yeah, so that is a long time. So starting chronologically, would you tell us about the game that you are developing? How did it start and, you know, the sort of timeline of how you got to where we are now and what that sort of means? Right. Well, when I was starting, even earlier really, like some sometime in like late 2011, maybe early 2012, I was looking at game engines and... I was trying out Unity, I was working on another project with some people that never came to fruition, but it was called Salt Mountain. And at that point I was just learning a little bit about Unity because I, I just needed some um, experience. And then I wasn't quite happy with like what I was able to do aesthetically with Unity. It felt limiting at the time, like back then Unity was a whole different beast. And I, I haven't looked much at Unity recently, but it seems mostly more solid even though the recent <laughs> developers being all up in the air about things recently is concerning but it as a software it, it's more fully fledged now than it was back then that's at least what i feel because i i think that's important to know is that like i have like a more artistic background than i have a programmer background even though i understand code somewhat well like i can look at things and i can you know, mess around with it a little bit, write some things on my own. Are you self-taught? 
Yeah, well, I, I did go to three years of like IT slash programming school, high school stuff, but I still feel as if like as a foundation, that's that's not a super strong foundation, right? Like so much changes all the time. And if you don't keep that stuff fresh, it's like, eh. And if you don't keep going right afterwards, it's... Uh, yeah, totally agree. It's some idea of it, but not the most solid foundation. So in terms of the timeline, I got more inspired once that project started like dying down a little bit because it sort of ran out of money. And that wasn't my project, it was just like something else I was doing. That project was like running out of steam, so to speak. I was like, okay, I'm gonna look into Unreal Engine. And this is back in version 4.14. So it's, it's still pretty early and it's still a little bit buggy and crashy and shit. But that's when I started mapping out the world and like figuring out all of the tools that exist in Unreal Engine. And that's still a journey because every other day I realized there's some feature that I didn't know about or didn't use. Yeah. So what what was the idea for the game to begin with? What was your sort of your vision of what it would be before you started making it? This is a great question, actually. It's morphed a lot from from the pen and paper part. I had like a preset idea of some characters that you would like assume like background packages, basically. And then you sort of would take those along with you as you you take those along as the backdrop for your characters that you then develop sort of writing on the idea that you you're not like a clean slate in the world. You have a history in the world to root it perfectly in there. And then as it was changing into a game for a while, the ideas circulated around like, okay, I felt like I wanted you to be able to start in different areas and different places in the world as like a randomly placed sort of thing and more randomized experience sort of. But along the development line, I also realized that for like a tutorialization purpose, just starting someone off in a random area is, it comes with its own uh, design difficulties, let's say. So we decided to like have like a static starting area and then opportunities to branch out from there, so to speak. Mm. You mentioned before that it's not a Souls-like game, or we should avoid calling it a Souls-like, more like an action RPG. But what I played so far, I'm a, I'm a huge Soulborn player. I got the vibes anyway that it is that kind of inspired by those games in one way or another. So I did have a question about the the story. Like, I mean, if it's not that type of game, like the full thing, then ignore this question. But uh, I was just kind of curious because those games, the story is sort of told by reading books and all that stuff. They don't really have cutscenes or, you know, is it the same in this game? Like, how do you learn about the world? Is it environmental storytelling or do you also pick up items and read about it? Well, we have like one of our strongest design pillars is exploration and fucking around and finding out if I can say so. (laughs) (laughs) So like, it has a lot to do with like natural curiosity. And the the ways we work with that is we have a codex that we update when you find certain things in the world. We also have like some like item descriptions, although we we lean on them a bit for storytelling, but tastefully so, I would say, in a way where it like, and I'm, I'm a man who likes obscurity, so like I'll, I'll scatter these points around a little bit. It's, it's 
going to be a journey piecing those things together for sure. But then also it's very important to just look at the world. Environmental storytelling feels like a bit of a buzzword, but we take great care to think of a thing's placement in the world that so that it makes sense at least in, this, in the context of dynasty. It doesn't necessarily always make sense in the context of another world, like, like our world. So following the ideas of laws and physics of this world. Hmm. You say we, how many people are working on this game? I was going to ask exactly the same question in the exact same way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're two like active developers who put in a lot of time into it. And then we have, it's currently like two composers who help us out every time with like sound design and stuff like that. Cool. So they, they, they don't work, maybe the work they do is phenomenal, but they also have other things that they're doing. Interesting. And has it been two people like doing it mainly for most of the time or has that shifted? Well, it's it's actually mostly been me up until 2000, I think, 18, I think. So I had four years in relative like just, just me not telling anyone. Like most of my close friends didn't know I was working on it. <laughs> Damn. I just, I just wanted to like... I wanted the idea to be substantial enough that it's not just like some some random ass idea i want people to take me seriously i guess back then <laughs> be like okay i'm doing this i'm making this big game i still get that sometimes when i feel like i'm approaching well partnership deals with publishers and things is that i present the game and i think it it has an intimidating size to it mm. How uh, far from completion are you with the game? Or is it playable from start to finish? The first chapter is playable. That's the one we like hand out to you guys. Yeah. We, there's a few nicks and knacks about that, but th- that's always the case, I think. As for how close we are to finishing it, well, it's a tricky question, but we finished basically all of the systems this early this summer or not early this year we sort of like wrapped up on basically all the systems we need to complete the game i have said so at least before but i do need to backtrack that a little bit because the quest system we're using is not getting any support and there is a like a very game breaking sort of like bug that has to be fixed so i've looked at what we can do instead so i might have to like switch gears on that a little bit but in terms of, of, if I backpedal a little bit to answer your question, in terms of like content that has to be produced, we, we have like chapter zero that has like most of it, the main quest sort of content, right? As for the other, there's three other chapters is what I want to say. So now it's really just mostly straightforward bug fixing and content creation. Mm. Now that's a nice hurdle to overcome. I'm almost there myself on my current game. Like I have this one pickle to to unpickle and then I feel like if I pull that off and make the load and save function work, I feel like it's going to be quite smooth sailing just to create graphics and yeah, content like the fun stuff if you will. But I'm also curious, uh, speaking of graphics, is it like assets flips in this game? Or have you guys made everything yourself? Or how does it work when you work with Unreal? 
Well, I, I'm not going to shy away from the idea that we use a lot of assets from asset packs and stuff like that. But the, the main, I have to like basically like review most of the things we get anyways. Like they help with time, but we still have to like basically because every like asset pack will have its own shader, right? There's always some variety in how they pack the textures and everything. And if you want to be efficient about that, you sort of have to like process that somehow and. Even more so for Dynastir, it's a very big world and we load a lot of the stuff up front. As, as I think uh, one of you noticed in your playthrough, it's like the first load is a very, can be a very long one. So we load a lot of stuff up front because I want to sort of simulate lots of the world at the same time. If that makes any sort of sense. So we do use a lot of assets. I make a bunch of things on my own as well. Whenever we need like a customized thing, it's also like you know, that thing where you take something that you already have as an asset like you got from some pack somewhere and you just like make some variations. I would say there's a lot of that. The same goes for like, we do that on every level really, both with like sound and animation and everything. Animation we look at as one of the most important parts, I think to like distinguish ourselves so that it doesn't feel like it moves like everything else. And as for the overall aesthetic in the game, that's like where I come in with like just tweaking values, changing a texture here or there. A lot of it is just generalizing it because like I said, it's a big world. So to get it to be performant, we do need to like optimize everything in particular ways. I, I realized basically that on a indie level, there are almost no open worlds made in Unreal Engine. So there's like almost no information out there. You can find information about how to build an open world weather system, how to build an open world this system. But then if you start looking at all of those components together, it's like none of that will work performantly, like together. Like if you put it all together, it's like, yeah, this, this, this is not performance. And that's something we are realizing that like, it's not necessarily new territory, but it's mostly touched by AAA industry. And even that is like, 10, 20 actual like open worldly titles that actually like are made in Unreal Engine. So that's pretty ridiculous, I think, to think that it's, it almost feels like a new field <laughs> in a way. <laughs> not that we're programming anything that's like, like an amazing piece of programming. Right? I'm not saying that, but it's, uh, it's interesting that like, I can't really just go anywhere and find tutorials anymore. I have to sit down and really think about things. Yeah, mm. uh, that sounds, yeah. That's hardcore stuff. But do you guys use the latest Unreal Engine at this point? I mean, you keep updating it. We're on 4. We're actually at 4.26. And the reason why is that I tried updating to both 4.27 and 5 a few times by now. And every time, even if I sit down and tick some boxes and turn off some settings or switch out some of the stuff, I don't feel like I get as smooth of a performance out of them. And for Unreal Engine 5, it's because it's more CPU bound with all like, that's at least what it seems like to me that there's more stuff going on that makes it heavy for the CPU. Of course, the all the lumens and everything will take its toll. But when I turn those down, all the lumen and nanites and everything, so the DPU is like evened out, it's still more heavy. More boilerplate then, I guess. Maybe. I'm not actually like 100% certain. I, there might be things I don't know about that I don't understand, like 
there, this is a thing you can turn off or this is a thing you can tweak. It's always like the possibility that there's like a lack of knowledge somewhere. But 4.27 ran faster, but there's nothing in 4.27 that we need. So the extra overhead isn't really worth it to like really go into it and make that proper. So 4.26 is probably going to be the thing we keep until release. And then we might make some special version that is running with five down the road and like see like is see if we can get the, the new lighting and other effects like loaded in properly with that but that's post-release stuff it's uh we can decide more what to do with that once we reach that goal post so to speak intra it sort of sound like i never made an open world myself but it sounds like you could literally have the whole world ready and then after the fact you can start tweaking stuff to get a better performance and I guess it will work kind of like prefabs throughout the world. So you tweak this, I don't know, this tree. It shouldn't move as much or whatever. And then that will apply to all the trees in the world. And then you get a little bit better performance out of it. And then you can keep tweaking until you get a great performance. But what's the, like, you said it felt heavy on the latest Unreal. Is it because of your computer or is it, what is the heavy feeling there? Or, I mean, wouldn't you want it to be... Well... Let's put it into perspective. If I loaded the entire map and I turned off all of the like settings that like that would add GPU overhead, so to speak, that would add like some some weight to that to the GPU, I go from running sixty on a map to running twenty FPS. It's that's ridiculous. So I'm assuming part of that is there's some setting that I'm not understanding, and part of it I think is that there is something about the this is a big theory, but part of something about the conversion process doesn't work out that well. Like if you start a new project, maybe it will just run better. But since it is an old project getting converted, that might have something to do with why it's running so slow. Ah, uh, okay. But big theory. I have had other people who have relatively big projects who tried moving over and they've had issues with their projects as well. Well, people starting out seem to have a little bit easier time, maybe. But then again, people starting out haven't typically gotten as far in terms of like the sheer amount of stuff they have. So, yeah, jury's out on this one, <laughs> unfortunately. So, could you give us just a uh, just to so it's clear? I'm not sure if we have presented it, but just give us the title of the game and an elevator pitch so that everyone is in the loop for what the game is and what to expect when it's released. Yeah, let's, let's get everyone in on the game loop. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dynastier is a Dark Ages-inspired third-person action RPG with an obscure world and deadly kinetic combat fueled by adrenaline. Cool. That's the, that's the pitch for it. And as you were mentioning earlier as well, that the reason I joke about like not Dark Souls or Demon Souls is because once you slap those things on there, there's a whole slew of expectations. It's certainly like an action RPG in, the, in that sense, but I also want it to be judged on its own merit. There's, I feel that there's enough to differentiate it and stand out from the crowd of those 
games on its own and have its own qualities, so to speak. But does it have that punishing gameplay like those types of games? Yes. Okay, interesting. So what happens if you die? Do you lose everything and start over or how punishing? There's four types of currencies and the only one that you actually lose is the one called Essence. Okay, so what does that currency do or how do you get it? So Essence is used for both like sort of leveling up, like spending it in a skill tree essentially is what you do with it, or you use it to like purchase things inside of the game. So going to like a vendor and doing some trades. However, vendors will also trade other currencies and there's three others. So those three other ones is something that the player doesn't lose. You, you'll find those like scatter across the world. You'll get them from doing various tasks and, yeah, and interacting, so to speak, with the world. Cool. So what are the other currencies and why do you have multiple? So one part of why there's multiple is to be able to pace out the skill tree. So say you have these like, I don't know if you're familiar, but like they're like highways almost in a skill tree. So like you, uh, you have all these small roads, if you think about them as like roads and stuff, and you have highways. So to access a highways, it's more convenient instead of like having dividing up points and saying like, oh, this costs 20 points and this costs 40 points. Instead, we have different currencies. So bloodline shards, for instance, are much more rare than essence to find in the world, but they will unlock some of those those higher highways. That sounds nice. I mean, it sounds like yeah, an extra level of excitement when you find them and all that. Like, Yeah, that's that's absolutely intended to, to, for it to be that way. They also, the other reason is because they also have this intrinsic like idea of how the world works. You have a piece of chroma, which is, it is anything that carries a potent color. Chroma lives, like all of these elements are like tied to the underlying physics of the game, I guess. The physics of the world, that is. So chroma would be color. Essence is sort of like a life forcey thing. Your bloodline shards is a, it is the physical manifestation. I guess, of life force, more or less. And then you have Ao, which is basically like an emanation, like an like a, an aura, essentially. Have you, at this stage, are there any bosses in the game? The demo that you guys have access to have three bosses. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. I would say that one of them is very, like, complete. There's another one that's sort of like 70 or 80% way there, and then this one that may be like 65, 70% there. But being like fully like complete. But they're they're all quite playable. Very cool. As for like the complete actually I can't really reveal the complete like roster of bosses, but there <laughs> there's a few in the there's a few in the works at least. And and if chapter zero, which this is, is anything to judge by that having like three bosses in the space of that area, playable space, and you can sort of imagine the the numbers. Are these bosses acid flips or have you made them yourself? Like the design and everything? Two of them are self-made. Cool. Ah, I look forward to, to run into them. And the third one the third one is some variation on the armored guy that we don't really need to reinvent armor. Right, right. And you mentioned previously that it's kinetic combat, I think you said. 
So what does that mean? So kinetic to me means that it's, you know, very... Uh, kinetic is such a good word, but like I, I think of touch when I think kinetic, and I think like you feel the impact is what I want to say. So that's like one of those important part of like... Actually, since this is, this is like a for game developer podcast sort of like deal here, Let's let, let's get a bit technical because that's that's always fun. So I had super fun with this. So you guys know what hit stop is, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So for 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 a quick primer on hit stop, it's essentially is freezing a frame for a fraction of time to like sell an impact, right? Ah, right. So I went I, I went pretty deep down the rabbit hole with hit stop. And I think we have some value coming out of that. So as different weapons make impacts, we are modulating time in sort of like an interesting way where where there is the perceived thickness of the object you're hitting, right? You have an idea of like, okay, you have an impact and then there's resistance, right? So you have a moment where you have a freeze frame and then you have like some resistance where time is essentially running a bit slower. And then to contrast that slower time, we're actually speeding up the time of the game just for a smidgen of a few frames post passing through the object, essentially. So that's that was me watching like some Street Fighter video and being like, it almost looks like it moves faster after they hit the characters. Like, and I think that might be tied to animations in those games, but like I was like, you know what I can do with like hit stuff. So we actually have a curve sort of thing where we're like, I have a paper on this that I wrote down, like, is to have it on there, but it's like a, this is the actual peak of the stop, and this is like the, the resistance part of the curve, and then there's like this, this post speed up, and then it comes down. So it all like modulates over like this curve as you are hitting the enemy. Hmm, cool. Very cool. I think, uh, Final Fantasy X, if, yeah, have a really good, which is weird because it's turn-based, but I remember feeling it's maybe because it was a DualShock vibrating. But I really felt like it was impact when Auron in particular when it hit the enemies. It was a nice feeling, and I like that uh, games that have that impact feeling. Final Fantasy VII Remake, I feel like it's pretty good at it. I just played it, but I don't remember it. Yeah, but that's nice. You guys pay so much attention to that because I think that adds a lot of value or. Um, it's just very neat when it works. Yeah, up until recently, we well, we had we had an issue where like the combat felt like it felt jittery, and for a while I thought it had something to do with that, but it ended up having to do with the lock on, which is ridiculous. But the lock on was just updating at too high frequency with like no smoothness, so it like it felt it felt weird when when you were hitting like an enemy, and then there's like a a knockback on the enemy that's really fast or something, and the camera would just jerk alongside and I felt really bad but now it feels really smooth again nice cool so which part of the game so I'm assuming bits of everything since you've worked on this game yourself for quite a while but what parts of the game do you do currently or which parts do you like is it only programming or do you do also art or also music or what kind of parts are sort of your favorites and what do you have to do, so to speak? I like I like to, to call myself a tech artist, although I have so much to learn about the process still. Like I'm still learning a lot about like math and stuff. 
and not like necessarily actively learning, but just going through the motions when I when they when the challenges appear before me. I thoroughly enjoy having like a, a a problem that needs a solution in terms of like just okay, there's something here about aesthetics that we want to achieve and the technical side that has to happen to get that to work. So I'd like to say that like I find the most joy in doing tech artwork, like improving the shader workflow and like things like that and trying to figure out how to make things run better. It's always like a joy whenever I find like another like neat like particle shader trick or whatever. <laughs> or or like a way to like so some some values to tweak and make it like look better, be prettier, and and run faster. <laughs> like look better and be faster. Aside from that, I think like like I do a lot of like level design work. My style is more of like a well we since we're two working on the game. My style is very much like I splotch some things down, place them around until the composition feels right, and then my friend Wolfgang and my friend Koda usually comes in and be like, "I'm gonna place this plant like this, and then I place this plant like this, and like some 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 of the finer detail work." He hasn't like gone through all the old stuff yet, but sometimes you can just walk out somewhere and be like looking at a plant and being like, "Yeah, that plant is perfectly like." placed along the rocks <laughs> mm -hmm. do you like do you do ah what's that thing i don't do or do i always talk about it proceduralism no draw stuff before you actually make them a concept art a concept art do you do concept art for your worlds or do you just go into this 3d world in unity and start building them in unreal we i usually that's 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 what it is i usually map it out in unreal I sort of like, I think I skip over some of the gray boxing because I, I, I know intrinsically sort of what the character can do. And I also sort of know intrinsically like sort of what the what the high end is of that. So I sort of skip over a, a bunch of the gray boxing sequence that a lot of people other like to do. I do draw some things on paper sometimes just when I have like, okay, so there's this puzzly piece or environmental piece that like I, I need an idea of like how that is supposed to work or what the flow of the level is so to speak i actually have an entire like not entirely it's like two pages i think of like for for when the opportunity comes of like working with other people i'm like here is how the how i built the world and how i imagined working and one of the quotes from that world is that this world is not made for a player Right, it's not made for you specifically, so it has a sense of hostility in that, like, the space isn't necessarily like it's a natural space in the same way that you would you wouldn't just like jump off a cliff somewhere, or like you wouldn't just like jump into like a place full of spikes, right? Like a a cavern that has like strange edges and shit. So there's a lot of like things that we allow to naturally be in the world. And that's a very strange thing to design with. It could also be like, let's say I see this gap between two mountain, a hill, and there's like a an alley between them. And, I, and I, from a distance, I think I can jump over that gap. But once I get there, I can't. So that would be like an example of where it is just naturally the way. Like you can't jump over this 
even though you would think that because if like you said if you make it for the player then it would be obviously oh, I should be able to jump over there or whatever yeah there's there's obviously places where we where we design experiences that is meant to be like a, a thing that you experience as you go through the world but the world at large so to speak the things that you find outside of those spaces is not necessarily always for the player and we give the player enough tools to at least towards later parts of the game like think about that cliff right and be like okay maybe i can jump that now later in the game right and even if 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 not everything has like uh, an extrinsic reward there something that you can like latch on to then at least you're like, oh yeah, I did scale that. And we actually have a quite fantastic little gameplay system that I'm not super vocal about because I like people to experience it on their own, but it actually enforces exploration in a, pre in a pretty interesting way. Without revealing what exactly it is, I can say that there are ways for you to create shortcuts inside of the world in the gameplay space. Cool. So once you find those clips and once you do get across them or find some interesting place, you you can make your your journeys and connect the world in a different way for your own enjoyment. I wanted to ask, uh, you said you, the players should find these things themselves. Like how many people are playing the game now? Like how, I mean, it's sort of like an early beta testing or yeah. Like how, how do you have like a small community or who, who's playing the game? Right now we've, we had like a playtesting session some months ago, early in the year, I believe. And then as it is right now, we're just mostly targeted, like sending it out to people, seeing who wants to like cover it a little bit, etc. Just trying to reach out to some people. We have in our Discord community, I think there's 60 people. It goes up and down in activity a little bit now and then. I saw that our friend Switchheads played it on his stream the other day, actually. Ah. So I'll, I think we'll link to that stream as well in the description so people can get a glimpse of it. He's gonna like make a video and, and compromise like together some of his thoughts and actually catch... Because uh, he wasn't able to find a boss fight during his playtime and so he's going to put that as well in, in a video. Cool. So that's, that's all something to look forward to. He had an interesting journey through the game, certainly. We have some really good takeaways from that because he has a particular way of going through an experience and breaking it down. So I think that we got a lot of value out of that because he plays it in a different way from like, I think I've never seen anyone like sort of play it like that. So what was what stood out to me, for instance, was that the secrets that we put in that we have in the demo available for people he, then, he somehow tended to like walk past those and he found some secrets that are for final. <laughs> like they're not, like the, they, the space exists in the demo, although there is no secret there right now, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. It's cool. So how, how much feedback have you got from this playtesting session? That must be pretty neat to, to get some feedback and... Yeah, we have a lot of, of good feedback. This demo, we try we try not to mess around with the demo itself so much. We try to patch the things that like we have to, so that we don't have to keep switching <laughs> gears between the versions. But yeah, we have a few things that have cropped up 
since the last update where we just hadn't thoroughly playtested exactly everything. But to answer your question in earnest, it's invaluable. Like I can't overstate how good it is to have some people who are like ready to like jump in and try it out. And we've been lucky enough that we've been able to follow many of those journeys and like just thoroughly follow up on them and be like there with them or like sit down with them or like be in the stream with them. But when we first released the demo out there to like our community we had like sometime over the course of a few days like some peak of like 15 people playing it at the same time and at that point it was like okay we're, we're gathering data but it's like we can't we can't like be there actively like and i was patching things like crazy because i want people to have a good experience <laughs> mm, nice so how applicable would you say that the feedback is so would you say that most of it is stuff that you can use and that will improve the game or is it that there are also some feedback that are hard to apply to something real or it's something that sort of misses the point or or something like that do you have only everything is very helpful or is it also that you get some comments that are like I don't know, I want a horse in the game or something that's just, uh, you know, you can't make use of it. Yeah, the most the, the most fun anecdotal thing I have about this is that Dynastir hit some notes of being very whimsical sometimes, yet very dark. Like very early in the, in the like tutorialized area, there's quite some small interesting details that are quite whimsical. So what happens is that people take that and they love those whimsical ideas and sometimes they're like i'll mention something that was like a previous design that i thought was just too ridiculous like the other day where i mentioned that oh at one point you could like ride the salamander <laughs> right because there's a big salamander somewhere in the demo and it was like a really scuff like implementation and i was like this is over the course of a day like I had this ridiculous idea and then I just threw it away. And then I mentioned that as a fun trivia and people are like, you gotta make that. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. Because <laughs> then I feel like I have a responsibility to those people to give them something. But at the same time, I can't really spend too much time that I want to. But I have to like somewhere choose those whimsical elements that I do want in the final game and experience. But Rest assured, there will be whimsical things and... Well, I'm gonna say this to every like person who likes salamanders. <laughs> there, there, are, there, are some, there are some funny salamanders. <laughs> so like, even if you might, even if you can't, maybe can't ride them, it's, they're, they're, they're out there. I think you'll enjoy them. <laughs> cool. As, an, as a, just a side, another side example, we have the design on paper for a monster. I'm not going to reveal what name it was, but it's, it's a really ridiculous name that has something to do with a Swedish word. And I mentioned that on Discord as a throwaway thing. And the response was just so wrong that I'm like, okay, I, I got to make that now. <laughs> Interesting. I wanted to ask, you mentioned, you touched on a little bit, a little bit before in, in this episode about approaching publishers and so on. Have you, are you still approaching different publishers or... Do you have a deal with anyone or? We don't have any deal currently with anyone. <clears throat> We're always looking for the opportunities as they come to us, although finding 
the good opportunity is is definitely like a difficult thing. I would say we're privileged in a way where my point of view was always I'm gonna finish this like no matter like really the time or the effort that <laughs> that it takes for me personally. But of course, you have like if you think about the triangle, like you have time and resources and what is it, time, resources and people, something. Then I have time. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a lot of people or resources, so that's the one I can work with is time. And I'm I'm alright with things taking time, even though like obviously I'm aiming to to for this to not be like a, a project that takes an eternity. So to, to answer your question right now, there's nothing really on the table in terms of deals. We're looking, we have actually, we have some things, some people who are just interested in like investing some money in the company. Oh, nice. So that's, that, that's, that's always something. These are just like people that I, that I have learned to know over like the course of a long time. So they're in that sense, the like best business partner you can have. And in some sense, the worst in terms of like, pressure if they're if they're friends you don't want to sour your friendship with them right so things are still gonna have to be done on paper of course uh, to avoid st stuff like that do you work on this game full-time yourself or do you have a, another job on the side right now i'm doing something else entirely i ended up in a, in a let's call it, let's say bad financial situation so i sort of had like paddle back a little bit and be like okay i, I gotta like get some things going so right now i'm at Actually, just recently got hired as a as a waiter at a, a restaurant Brennlands Virtus. Oh, that's a very good one. Yeah, it has a good reputation, and it's a really fancy place. And I like I like the establishment. I love giving people experiences, and I think that's true whether if I'm doing something on a stage or if I'm doing a game or if I'm doing if I'm at like being a waiter. Right. So I'd say there's some consistency to my character and my character traits. If you have a character sheet, it's on there. So you work full time there and then you you work on your game in the evenings or weekends or whenever you find time. Yeah. Previously it's been something like, oh I work seventy percent and I then I put probably seventy percent into the game. Now it's probably a little bit less currently until until I'm back, like right now, I'm also living like between like friends and stuff. So until that living situation stabilizes, it's probably going to be a little bit low, low end for a while. But incidentally, right now, a lot of people are like reaching out and want to stream the game. And, you know, we have good time to just do these, these things. So, so that, that is also such an, such an important, incredibly like important aspect to it. So, so it's, Incidentally, kind of good that I don't have time to sit down and do hardcore development because I can do a lot of planning. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I tried to sit a couple of hours every Monday with the like making logs or screenshots or whatever. I just hate every second of it. So what you like the situation you're in now? Because I feel exactly the same thing. Like, ah, oh, I shouldn't sit here and make a fucking video about my game. I want to make the game. But when you find yourself in that situation, it's it's almost perfect, perfect timing that you can spend time with the streams and promote the game and all that stuff. Get some, you know, intel and the feedback and all that stuff. And then when you can go back to it, like work on the game more, you have a lot of things to go through. So that's pretty sweet. 
Yeah, and uh, you mentioned... So I think uh, one thing that I also have struggled with with my game development is that something that you mentioned previously that you have ideas that you want to implement but implementing it would like require two months work for something that might just be a you know a fun thing but not really essential it's not more important than actually finishing the core part of the game and uh, you mentioned also that you have a discord with users there that give you feedback and stuff so how big of a community do you have there well, like I mentioned, it's it's roughly 60 people and activity goes up and down a little bit. We have at least one person who who absolutely like adores the experience of this game. He's spent probably more time than me playing, like not playing it, but like uh, if you look at the Steam hours played, it's probably played more than I have. <laughs> mm, cool. Which I think is fun. He keeps he keeps coming up with like good memes and stuff and shares it with the community and everything. I feel like at some threshold you find some like a few of those people and that keeps the community really alive and going. But it's uh yeah, let's say we're pretty blessed like to have like these like sixty people who are feel like genuinely like engaged, even though like they, they have like many other things going on in their life. That's about the width of the active community. Wish lists right now stand at about 110, I believe. So that's the humble start. We believe that also because of a number, a good number of like the people who have like the game on our Discord can't wish list it until like we revoke those keys and they, because right now they have the game, right? So it's one of those, it's one of those things. So like we have a little small bump there as well in terms of users. Do you promote the game like weekly or something like on Twitter or Reddit and so on? We haven't really got any like content engine started, so Well, you're doing it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, what we're trying to do, I think, is go go more directly to like different streamers and try to reach out and get like that type of coverage. Surely we could like share pictures and things. Well, you should watch the episode we did with Yahya, or how you pronounce his name. Sorry if I butchered it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, we did an episode about vlogs and uh, sort of marketing your game that way, doing development vlogs. So I recommend that. Also the things you do, Rune, which is a very, if you'll excuse the expression, but low effort, but high effect maybe. (laughs) <laughs> that you just hit record, just do some stuff for five minutes and just talk about it and then that's it. But still, it sort of gives you an idea about the the game, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. Uh, I mean, he edits his stuff really well. I just record myself while I'm working on it. Or, yeah, when I do some of the art stuff, because I find it fun myself to watch other people do these sort of fast forward things when they create art. So I do that, and then I used to talk over it. So there's a little bit of editing, of course, but I don't spend... Maybe I spend one hour tops for one of these videos, editing and, and putting it out there. But like I said, I, I really hate this part of the the, the indie life. So I... Uh, yeah, low effort, but yeah, it's, it still works. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess that's important if what you want to do is spend time doing what you really love doing and which actually at the end 
turns out to be like better for the game, right? So it, it that all I think makes sense, especially like on in the scale. One of the reasons that I keep coming back to is that I want the experience to be as fresh as possible for as many people as possible, and that sort of and that sort of goes diametrically like on the other opposite spectrum of like marketing, right? Where it's like show off the coolest shit you have, and I'm like I don't want to I don't want to show that <laughs> like like I. I like my secrets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with my Knife Boy game, I feel like I showed off everything in that uh, one-minute trailer. But it's just uh, the shitty reality if you try to make make it interesting. Ah, I don't know if you paid off in the end. I could have probably kept a lot of it. It didn't sell well anyway. So, But it's just... yeah. M- maybe some people, oh, this looks cool. And then they, they pick it up and give it a go. But yeah, it's, it's difficult. To balance that, I think I think what what we sort of land on is like yeah we can show things some of the things that are expected from like the sort of genre or sort of direction that we're going in, and that will get the general mass who likes those sort of things going, and then capitalize like on the on the differences as you're like experiencing the game. Yeah, but it's that that but that could totally mess with like player expectations. So it's a it's a really tricky like. <laughs> balance act i think but i think there should be some sort of middle ground where you could show off some stuff but still keep some mystery like make cliffhangers or something or you could just work on a small piece where you don't you you won't be able to see the whole picture and you won't know where this little piece belongs to the rest of the game unless you played it but it still entices you to want to know more mm. yeah you mentioned Oda the shark gif I updated it doesn't explain anything yes exactly like that one so t- tell tell the viewers about that thing well it was. it's just like you're on a boat and then from underneath the boat a big shark come and eat you and the boat and based on what kind of game it is I mean this is like a Stardew Valley Animal Crossing type of game I like to call it a mini open world so it's a very small world but Mm. packed with stuff and that thing there with the shark that's like one of those things that probably very few people will experience when they play a game but it is it adds some of the mystery that was not it was unintentional though it's not until you pointed it out Odo where I'm like oh actually that that kind of works like I'm not I'm showing something from the game but I it leaves a lot of question marks like at what point is this going to happen how does it happen and all that stuff like it's a mini open world so the world is quite small but I am intending to only show certain parts of the island to keep it as as secret as possible the rest of the, the game I mean when you play the game you can probably run through the island in five minutes but still I, I don't want to show off too too much so all the functions that I show in my vlogs, they they will probably take place in the same areas to keep it fresh for for players. If they if they like what they see and pick up the game later on, they obviously should have some surprises there. To that point about that video, so the video was actually about you made a sort of a, a cipher, I think you call it, like a fake alphabet where certain characters represents different real characters. And that was what it was about. But like the first five seconds was that image of that shark eating the player. And then you switch to 
the rest of the video without like <laughs> even acknowledging that that happened. So that made you sort of curious, like, oh my god, does that happen in the game, or you know, how do you get there? And I think doing something like that is something that I think would be really effective. Something that I also thought of is you could do it in another way, some sort of marketing that maybe gets people interested without showing off anything about the game. So I think it was the commercials for Halo 3 where they just had sort of a, like, imagine a toy soldier model, except it was of a Halo 3 battle. And then you had someone dressed up like a war veteran talking about sort of like Band of Brothers. And they talked about some scenario where like the player would save them or something. Like Halo 3 would be a war documentary or or something like that. And it didn't show any of the gameplay for the games. And those were just amazing trailers that really, really got you into the world without even seeing what it looks like. So that's also one option. I, I have to link it in the description. Really amazing trailers. Yeah. Maybe you can uh, dress up as a knight and go out in the forest, <laughs> Mar- Mar- and I. Or, or like, I don't know, sit and read from a book like a storyteller and have some candlelights in the back and use, read some lore. It's great you actually mentioned this part about the storyteller. There is a encompassing theme we can start it in this in this end of the story, but the company name is Twin Lake Minstrels, and Twin Lake Minstrels is actually a faction inside of the game, and they are storytellers who are supposed to know every story that exists. Hmm. Cool. So they travel basically. They basically travel the world collecting stories, story songs, like wherever contains like a, a word or a thing that can be interpreted to be <laughs> some transformative idea of like a a plot <laughs> so to speak so that's encompassing and of course that becomes a part of the meta is that we are a company of twin lake minstrels and we're creating a story or like an experience in this sense and it becomes even more meta when you think about how much authorship the player has in the world like your journey is very much your own journey so that's your story. Cool, very cool. Yeah. So it was just funny you mentioned storytelling and like sitting out with the book. In the, uh, that's actually a very like nice mental image that I might I might borrow some some idea from that. As for the comment you otherwise made of like the idea of having just like some sequence, that's it's so easy to to forget that like a, for a viewer the relationship isn't as linear as your perception is. So you perceive it to be this linear idea of like, oh, this part happens here in the game, then it goes on and this part happens, like, you know, you know all the context around it. But when you take away those contexts, you completely like remove the fabric around it. So what holds it in there is their relationship to it is going to be different, even though like it's the same piece. The best example I have of this happening to myself is when I see like an area being revealed in a game. Like I remember some of the Sky Islands or some of the islands in Tears of the Kingdom. If you guys have played or seen. Seen it, not played it. Same. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so I expected I expected us to like journey on that 
on among those islands a bunch before hitting ground or even if we were even supposed to go on ground i sort of expected us to but i thought it would be later in the game but then it happened very early right and my entire perception of that space and what it's meant to be in the context of the game changed and i think that's very powerful yeah exactly and something i thought of that the main character the little i've seen of him has a very interesting look that makes you sort of curious about his origin or who is he and, you know, what kind of person is this? So just showing off some pictures of that and letting people make their own guesses also, I think, goes a long way. And having people just fantasize about the intellectual property or, you know, I think that can just do a lot for you more than gameplay footage could. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. Yeah. Up until the, the, the open demo part, he was like just this more or less un, unmarked character, so to speak, just some, some helmet on a person. But I guess he's become something that becomes sort of like an icon for the game as well. So so that's that's actually like a really good reflection, I think, that you mentioned. I only like the only the idea of like showing him off in like one armor where he looks like he's on vacation and one armor where he looks like he's out like battling demons like all of that is like valuable because you're like oh yeah there's there's fashion there's there's a variety of, of ways that i can play and engage in the world and in one part it looks like you're on vacation in one part it looks like you're you're off battling in some bloody field somewhere I should mention that we are sort of running out of time. So, Rune, do you have any more questions or anything before we start wrapping up? No, I'm I'm satisfied. Yeah, all right. And uh, before we let you go, so would you like to promote, give us another a good pitch why you should wishlist the, the game, what is it about, anything else where our listeners should go or how can they keep updated about your project? So... If you want an experience that harkens back to like very pure experiences that are free of some of the bullshit, corporate bullshit that exists in the world, if you want an experience that is genuine from like a creation from someone's hearts as creative minds, something that sparks curiosity and invites curiosity, I should say then I think you should go and, and wishlist it. It helps us out to to get the game out there so that more people like you can also enjoy it. As for our social media stuff, we would love to see you join the Discord. I can provide you guys with some links that you'll find wherever in the text descriptions, wherever that will be. And where where can they keep updated on you and your progress? Do you post anywhere or do you have any profiles anywhere i'd say that the primary one that you would find me posting somewhere on is my personal twitter account so it's i believe it is just mirror and i that's where you like yeah we also have a patreon account even though we're not really actively like engaging that much alongside the patreon account i sort of rubs me the wrong way but it's there for people who are like truly like I love everyone who's there for their contributions and everything they they do, but it rubs me the wrong way to like take money from people unless they actually like 
super, super want to support the project. That's where I wanted to go with that. But there is also the Patreon. It's technically like it's my personal Patreon. It's not affiliated business-wise with Twin Lake Minstrels. So more of like art and also game development. But yeah, you can find me like Mirna is such a unique nickname that like you, you punch it into like Google or somewhere that I'm absolutely like the top 25 results and then like everything else might be connected or like some weird links that sort of lead back to me. <laughs> All roads lead to Mirunai, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you'll find that around. You can always check out the, there's the Twin Lake Minstrels webpage as well. It's a, it's just a WordPress link. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make sure to have it all in the description. Excellent. This is this is good. I don't have the perfect spiel as an ending yet, so it's good to go through the motions. <laughs> yeah. All right. So well, I guess with that then. I would like to thank you, Mirnai, for being our guest. It's been very interesting, and we would really like you back for another episode when you have more updates about the game. And uh, thank you so much, Rune, for being my co-host, as always. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see. I, I will play something from the game as the outro for this episode, so please enjoy this amazing soundtrack. See you next week. Bye-bye! Bye. Bye.
Thank you.